Paratruth Radio is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts on KillerPodcast.com. Christian and non-Christian paranormal investigators. They have two different views, and it seems as if neither of them can ever agree on anything. So what happens when a mainstream view of the paranormal crosses paths with the Christian view? <laughs> Something Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a brand new episode of Paratruth Radio. My name is Justin, and tonight we've got a another amazing episode, as always, for you guys. Uh, really quick before we start, though, um, I did want to bring this up. Uh, we got an email from one of our guests uh, from a while back. I, I don't think we've had Bill Sweet back on since we've had him on. Uh, but we got an email from Bill Sweet, uh, and it starts out, as this. Uh, Hello to you paratruthers. I am keeping cheery despite Trump not being president, but I digress. I just wanted to say I have received an inquiry, a good one, about research as a result of a researcher hearing your interview with me about the Spindrift Prayer and Consciousness Research. So I wanted to say thank you for your radio show. Hope you guys are okay in this very weird time. That is equally as bizarre as anything paranormal. Bill Sweet near Chicago with spindriftresearch.org. So that was a pretty cool surprise to get today. Uh, so whoever heard the show and reached out to Bill for some research, uh, thank you. I'm glad that people are paying attention to our show and uh, liking the content. Uh, and Bill obviously also appreciates it, so thank you. Um, and that's why we do what we do, uh, to connect people and connect our listeners to our, uh, guests. So, so tonight we've got a very interesting topic. Uh, we've kind of discussed a lot of this before, uh, but we wanted to kind of do a refresher about, uh, the fear of vampires, why we started out fearing vampires and how we've come into embracing them and it's interesting to think about but um eric came up with this uh just because vampires is probably one of our favorite things to talk about vampires and werewolves um and i think that's kind of how we started with doing paranormal podcasting so uh so right off the bat eric you know typically when you think of a vampire, what what are your first thoughts when you think of a vampire? Uh, for me, I think, of course, the first thing that probably everybody really drink, thinks of is uh, Count Dracula, uh, whether it's the, the the story by Bram Stoker or of Vlad Dracula, the uh, Vlad the Impaler, as many people know him as. Uh, the other is probably the movie Nosferatu. I always think of that shadow image on the wall of Nosferatu uh, walking up the stairs. So, you know, I, I think those are the two things. There's just this eerie kind of reminiscence to it. Uh, I forget which 
movie it was. Um, I don't think it was Lost Boys or maybe it's The Vampire Next Door or something like that. But I recall seeing watching this one movie where there's a vampire living next door to this family and they looked out their window and looked into his and there's these two red glowing eyes watching them. And then he just like stepped out of the dark or into the darkness and disappeared. Uh, but it's like those kind of elements that I think of. It's, it's always more scary as opposed to something uh, of modern day for sure. What about you? I, I, I think that's pretty much the same thing I think of, uh, you know, the drinking blood, uh, stake through the heart, uh, can't go out in the sunlight, uh, stuff like that. Um, so I, I've been researching vampires for however many years now, but I pulled up uh, just kind of a brief uh, touch base course kind of thing uh, on history.com and uh, what is a vampire? So their definition is this. Uh, there are almost as many different characteristics of vampires as there are vampire legends, but the main characteristics characteristic of vampires is they drink human blood. They typically drain their victims' blood using their sharp fangs, killing them and turning them into vampires. Which is not typically true. A lot of times in the lore you were either turned or you were killed. There was that other option. Um, in, In general, vampires hunt at night since sunlight weakens their powers. Some may have the ability to morph into a bat or a wolf. Uh, Vampires have super strength and often have a hypnotic, sensual effect on their victims. Uh, They can't see their image in a mirror and cast no shadows. Um, And I believe in Nosferatu, he was the shadow, right? Uh, I believe he was, yeah. I believe he was a shadow. Um, one, one interesting thing I want to point out here, because we mentioned Nosferatu twice now, uh, I don't, I don't know if anyone really knows this, but Nosferatu wasn't actually the name of the vampire in that movie, uh, for anyone who is uncertain, but Nosferatu actually in Romanian, as far as history could tell, is it means vampire. Nosferatu simply means vampire. So it's kind of weird when you think of it in English, because then the movie uh, Nosferatu is just vampire. Right. It's kind of weird. Uh, but yeah, you know, and I think like a lot of or quite a few of those things that you had mentioned there uh, were actually based on not so much typical folklore, but on somewhat modern um, takes on the, the vampire, like the idea of his uh, reflection or not having a reflection or not having a shadow. You know, those are both taken from Bram Stoker, of course. Uh, there were little uh, elements like them not being able to go into sunlight, which is another misconception. I think a lot of people think that vampires, uh, uh, when they go into, at least in old folklore, when vampires would go into sunlight, they would like burst into flames and they mm-hmm. would die. And that's also actually very modern take on that. When you think of uh, something like Buffy or uh, like Blade or any of anything like any of those vampires, you know, they tend to burn up when they're hit with UV rays. But in historical references, the sunlight only weakened their powers. Maybe yeah. it caused blisters on their skin or something like that, but it would never kill them. It would never harm them in a, a uh, life-threatening way. 
So that, that's right. one thing to consider, you know, uh, it's just interesting. Cause I think there's a lot of misconceptions to, to vampires because there's so many things uh, coming together in, in these characteristics of vampires throughout the years. It's like a big melting pot now of various types or arch- archetypes of, of vampires uh, today. Right. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the other part they've got here is are vampires real and it goes into vampire superstition thrives in, uh, thrived in the Middle Ages, especially as the plague decimated entire towns. Um, and I think that's where it kind of really truly started uh, the, the lore of vampirism because they would think that these people were coming back to life because they would start bleeding out of their, their mouths or their eyes. Um, so they would think that they were crying blood. And that kind of part of the description of a vampire is they don't they don't uh cry normal tears they they cry blood um the disease often left behind bleeding mouth lesions in its victims which to the uneducated was a sure sign of vampirism uh it wasn't uncommon for anyone with an unfamiliar physical or emotional illness to be labeled a vampire many researchers have pointed to uh porphyria a blood disorder that can cause severe blisters on skin that's exposed to sunlight as a disease that may have been linked to the vampire legend, something else. Uh, some symptoms of por- uh, porphyria can be temporarily relieved by ingesting blood uh, or blood uh, medication. They, they put it in a medication form. Other diseases blamed for promoting the vampire myth include rabies and goiter which I've never heard goiter before, so that's interesting. Uh, When a suspected vampire died, their bodies were often uh, disinterred to search for signs of vampirism. In some cases, a stake uh, was thrust through the corpse's heart to make sure that they stayed dead. Other accounts describe the decapitation and burning of the corpses of suspected vampires well into the 19th century. So, right. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, um, and of course, there's, there's, I mean, this is just in terms of how they would secure themselves from a possible vampire awakening or somebody becoming a vampire. Uh, you know, you'd already mentioned putting a stake to the heart and, of course, decapitating and burning the corpse. Uh, but there's also historical references, and we've actually seen a recent uh, archaeological dig that that proved this, or at least they think uh, this is, was the reason for it. And this was probably about, so I don't even know, maybe seven, eight years ago is a while ago, but recent for the times mm. uh, where they dug up a grave and found a, a skeleton in which the head was decap- decapitated and a brick was placed in its mouth, uh, mm. which is actually a pretty common thing for certain ages to do to keep the vampire from being able to bite down on anybody again or use his fangs or its fangs i should say because don't know if it's really it's not human anymore so uh, right hire a girl too you know um (laughs) and then uh the other thing which is a little less known but it's still part of some uh folklore is placing a thorned rose on top of the casket uh before it's closed up by the dirt uh the it's believed i guess that the rose is kind of a pure uh aspect or something i don't know what it does exactly but 
the rose somehow prevents the vampire from uh, rising from the grave and getting out of the casket uh, uh, for some reason. Don't know. Yeah, really that one is kind of odd. Um, but maybe the thorns kind of represent uh, the stake? Maybe. Maybe? I don't know. Um, so you brought up uh, Bram Stoker and, and uh, Dracula. Uh, for those that don't know him by his true name, uh, he was Vlad Dracul or uh, Vlad Tepish. Um, he wasn't Count Dracula until Bram Stoker brought him back to life, uh, quite literally. Um, uh, but he was also known by as Vlad the Impaler. Uh, he was known by this because in his rule of the Ottoman Empire as a way of torture and uh, scaring off his, his uh, enemies, he would ram a stake through the anal cavity of his victims and then put that stake into the ground and allow them to slowly with their the bo- the weight of their body the the stake would go all the way through them um according to legend Vlad Dracula uh enjoyed dining amidst his dying victims <clears throat> and dipping his bread in their blood whether those gory tales are true is unknown um many people believe that these stories sparked Stoker's imagination to create Count Dracula who was also from Transylvania sucked his victim's blood and could be killed by driving a stake through his heart. Um, now, before Bram Stoker, nobody thought of Vlad Tepish as a vampire. It was Bram Stoker who made him as such. Um, now, it does go into a little bit of another uh person which i've never heard of have you ever heard of mercy brown i have um i I didn't have never done a lot of research on her but she's come up in a couple of tv shows uh, over the years when i was watching documentaries on vampires okay so i had never heard this before but mercy brown uh may rival count dracula is the most notorious vampire unlike count dracula however mercy was a real person she lived in Exeter, Rhode Island, and was the daughter of George Brown, a farmer. After George lost many family members, including Mercy in the late 1800s to tuberculosis, his community used Mercy as a scapegoat to explain their deaths. It was common at the time to blame several deaths in one family on the undead. The bodies of each dead family member were often exhumed and searched for signs of vampirism. Uh, when Mercy's body was exhumed and didn't display severe decay, not surprising since her body was placed in an above-ground vault during a New England winter, the townspeople accused her of being a vampire and making her family sick from her icy grave. They cut out her heart, burned it, and then fed the ashes to her sick brother. Perhaps not surprisingly, he died shortly thereafter. And yeah, I, mean, I mean, there are I people shouldn't... that consume the remains of their loved ones, and it's kind of disgusting, but... Kind of disgusting? 
dude <laughs> it's totally disgusting oh come on <laughs> but you know the difference is uh you know you're, we're talking about something that's flesh for as gross it is as it is uh it, it's still flesh it's the same as you know it's, well think of animal meat when you eat burgers and stuff like mm. that it can be consumed it can be, be digested ash it isn't that really digestible you know this is something that probably thickens uh uh the acid within and you know it gets in your bloodstream and stuff like that so it could probably clog uh arteries or clog your heart and stuff so there there's definitely i would say eating ash is got to be a really bad thing to do um right i, I don't it's weird So the last part of this on, on history.com is it says real well, vampires. Yeah. Well, hold but, on before you go on to that, because there is one more person that we have talked about in the past uh, a little bit as well. And some say that she may be, uh, or is considered by many to be the, the uh, true inspiration for Stro uh, Stoker's Dracula, which I can't really see the, the, the connection uh, between the story and this particular countess. Uh, but she is Elizabeth Bathory. I think just about mm. everyone that we, uh, that are listening right now probably have heard of her uh, or at least know the name and Elizabeth Bathory uh, in 1610 was accused of some very gruesome acts uh, of serial murder and was confined to her home in uh in the castle where she remained until her death now the story goes that one day uh, apparently she had slapped one of her servant girls across the face and her ring cut the girl's face uh and the blood dripped onto her onto elizabeth's hand and when elizabeth wiped it away to her it looked like the spot where the blood had touched her or had sat on her skin looked younger than the rest of her skin uh, that ended up putting her into this craze in which she ended up murdering uh, i believe it was 650 servant girls uh, who she had tortured and killed and then bathed in their blood uh, there uh, were a lot of artwork or is a lot of artwork if you look it up uh, if you're willing to stomach that kind of thing in which some would say that she like hung these girls from the ceiling and over bathtubs and would cut their throats and then just bathe in their blood and make her skin look younger and younger. Uh, and, you know, obviously this isn't someone that drank blood, but still in a, as a form of vampirism, uh, anything that has to do with blood, whether it's consuming it or bathing in it or, you know, anything of that nature, I suppose can be vampiric. Um, but she's another one that, I mean, that is, that's like just crazy to think of 650 servant girls, which back then is probably pretty easy to get away with. I mean, this was the 1600s and you don't have, you know, crime scene investigation or detectives on the case quite like we do today. Right. Technology obviously wasn't a thing. Um, you know, a lot of these people, uh, the families of these young girls would probably assume that they just went missing in the woods or, uh, got, you know, got lost somehow or whatever. And they never came back. So, uh, definitely, definitely one, I think of the possibilities in terms of, of, uh, inspiration for Bram Stoker, though I'm sure he was inspired by a number of different stories. Oh Yeah. 
Uh, I'm sure, um, I, I think at one point in the movie, I'm not sure about the book, but I, I think in the movie, uh, Dracula comes out of a pool of blood or something like that. So if that was in the book, it would only make sense that he had re- kind of researched a bunch of different people who would have kind of fallen under that classification um sort of mm-hmm. but um so believe it or not there really are vampires in the world they're not what you think uh although modern science has silenced the vampire fears of the past people who call themselves vampires do exist they're normal seeming people who drink small amounts of blood in a perhaps misguided effort to stay healthy uh <clears throat> communities of self-identified vampires can be found on the internet and in cities and towns around the world. To avoid rekindling vampire superstitions, most modern vampires keep to themselves and typically conduct their feeding rituals, uh, which including drinking the blood of willing donors in private. Some vampires don't ingest human blood, but claim to feed off of the energy of others. And we've talked about that here on Parachute Radio as well as on Night Stalkers, uh, Psychic Vampires. Uh, many state that if they don't feed regularly, <clears throat> they become agitated or depressed. Uh, it's to me just sounds like a a drug addict or or uh, somebody who is an alcoholic uh, Go going through withdrawals. So vampires. Be- came mainstream after Dracula was published. Um, Since then, Count Dracula's legendary persona has been the topic of many films, books, and television shows. Given the fascination people have with all things horror, vampires, real or imagined, are likely to continue to inhabit the Earth for years to come. Um, And I... I, Honestly, I think that is a very true uh, statement that Bram Stoker's Dracula kind of really sparked this um, from it being afraid of vampires to sexualizing and and embracing vampires. Yeah, well, you see, the thing it is, and there was a lot of adaptations after that, both in uh, literature and then, of course, in television and movies that. Right slowly changed the way we view vampires today uh in bram stoker's version the the what many would call the original story though there were many before or several before there that, were, yeah right um but his was of course and continues to be the most famous story uh of all time in terms of vampires and literature and dracula was really designed um by Stoker to be this evil of all evils, even antichrist-like. This was the embodiment of evil. There was no good about him whatsoever. He was very animalistic. Uh, Even like in the description of him, despite having some, some, uh, I guess, appearances of being human, he seemed more monster than anything. Uh, You know, the, the thought of like, his fangs always protruding from his mouth, like covering over his bottom lip, uh, his sharp nails that were always sharp. Uh, he had hair on his palms that he used to stick to the walls as he walked up and down the, the castle at night. Uh, and his feet, if I'm not, I mean, it doesn't say his feet, but I would imagine so. Cause there is a, uh, 
a description in the book in which he uses his curls his toes around the stone to walk up and down uh, on all fours uh, uh, laterally, uh, which is really creepy. Uh, so you know there, there's obviously some again some human elements to him in that he appears as a human, but he's very monstrous. So that's where we kind of begin, really, in terms of the modern vampire and then it just mm -hmm. kind of changes over the years uh there's actually two versions that we kind of or two categories i should say that we can separate vampire uh, regularly they even are very sympathetic uh and some even as we've read probably in the uh, twilight series prefer not to drink human blood and they try to uh chastate themselves by drinking blood of animals um so there's these two very different versions of the vampire and it's gone from this creature that you should be afraid of lock your doors at night don't let anything in put the garlic up on the on the uh, above the doorways things like that uh to this vampire that is very sensual and sexualized uh, I mean, I can't tell you how many times we've talked about vampires or have looked online and see women going crazy over the various vampire characters in movies uh, and how they, they would love to date a vampire and this and that, which, yeah, I know, guys, it's weird. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, it's it's weird how that happened. And I think uh, the big thing is uh, the reason that it happened, why there's this transition is because humanity, at least currently can't really relate to a uh a solitary creature uh that's pure evil but they can relate to a vampire that's much more communal and human than they are monster um so in that respect i think it's makes sense uh the the new vampire being much like human the vampire part representing this this kind of, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? Like, uh, oh, I can't think of the word, but uh, it, you know, it's very, there's like this, <laughs> there is a word I'm trying to think of and it, it would work here. I just can't think of what it's called, talk on it. Um, <laughs> but the vampire represents, I think this, darkness that humanity just has you know you think anger you think hatred you think violence uh you know those kind of things that all humans express in some way or another obviously uh some much less so or in a uh, much more um closed off way you know, where others mm -hmm. like murderers serial killers tend to express violence in a very drastic way uh but nonetheless we all deal with it but then there's this human side where we consciously are aware that those things are you know not good evil dark uh whatever you want to call it so i i think that's the main reason why vampire or the idea of the vampire and his characteristics have changed over the years and they have changed steadily since dracula you know you think of uh various stories like um you think of Blade, for example, you consider Blade and how uh, he's a half human, half vampire, who is basically a superhero of the humans trying to save them from the vampire race. You know, you got Buffy, who where these vampires are more, uh, 
more excited, more, uh, I guess, have more of a comedic side to them in most cases. Angel in particular, for anyone who knows, you know, obviously, you know, Angel from Buffy and he had his own spinoff show. He's kind of the hero version as well. Right. Uh, and then we get into the Twilight series and how we all know how that went. Not even going to talk <laughs> about that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and it's going to continue doing that. These adaptations continue on in literature and they've been very sexualized. They've been very uh, much turned from this monster that we fear to this hero that we should accept and praise and even worship in some cases. Uh, some, of the, some of them even being uh, in these stories, gods or goddesses of some sort. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, it's been years now, but I had seen uh, a documentary where <clears throat> there was somebody that said that uh, vampires are kind of a sim a symbolistic way of, of talking about sex, too, because you've got these phallic fangs that penetrate skin. Um, they have very <clears throat> sensual... Uh, aspects to them where they can seduce their victim and um there it was it was a lot of, to do about uh kind of of showing a a rape scenario in a sense where somebody's taking control of somebody else and, and taking advantage of them um <clears throat> but there and maybe that's kind of why it's developed a little bit more too into more of a sexual uh, component for a vampire. It could be. And, you know, the one thing about that too is even the way, like if, if you mentioned rape uh, or something that is um, unwanted by the victim. Uh, Non-consensual. That is that has changed over the years as well. You know, like uh, you consider, I hate to bring it up again, but let's just look at Twilight for, for a moment. Let's break that down a bit because you have this girl who sees this guy who's a vampire. She doesn't know it at the time, but she's highly attracted to him. And we, the audience know that maybe it's because vampires had this natural, natural uh, way to lure mankind to to seduce them uh without even really trying but the way that twilight really twists it is that she is completely free of that seduction um she has her own choices she makes her own choices and eventually she even chooses to become a vampire uh at her on her own free will and we see more stories doing that where people choose to become a vampire for one reason or another and that was kind of a way, I think, to break away from that idea of being used, quote unquote, by the vampiric entity. Uh, you know, real, real quick, because one thing I do want to mention, because the more you think about it, and I've thought about this a lot, and luckily, uh, not that this is fact by any means, but I had a, I have a book that I got many years ago uh, called Vampire. Uh, I think that's... I think that's all it's called. The Book of Vampires, something like oh, that. Oh, the Vampire Book. Uh, the Vampire Book, yeah. And this book actually describes how a vampire consumes blood because I've always, I had always wondered that before getting this book. And it's more, obviously, it's 
vampires are fictional. And so at least in this sense, they're fictional that they're literally have fangs biting people. But I always question like these fangs, once they puncture, how do they drink the blood? Because the fangs are still in the skin and in the flesh Mm -hmm. and therefore creating kind of a plug preventing blood from coming out. It actually has to retract its fangs in order to drink it. But vampires don't retract fangs unless we're talking about Supernatural or some other uh, TV show or movie in which they can, you know, do such. But according to this particular book, there's a theory that vampires actually have two small holes in the bottom of their fangs. And when they bite into the victim's neck, the blood rushes up through the holes in through the teeth and comes out through the back of the, the throat or even down in the stomach and releases into the stomach where their feet basically so they can fill up uh, like any type of blood sucking creature or bug. Um, so, you know, I thought that was really interesting. Uh, just the idea behind it, you know, because obviously in, in theory, uh, in some of these stories, you could have taken from creatures that actually do drink blood, um, like the vampire bat, for example, who bites its victim and then licks the blood. It laps it up into its mouth. Uh, whereas a mosquito, is much like this theory on fangs, has a needle that pokes in and drinks the blood through the needle. Uh, so I don't know why they chose one or the other, but right. I thought it was interesting. Yeah, the the one book that you got me uh, a very long time ago, um, I can't remember what the actual title is, but it was kind of a fictional thing uh, of a... Uh, uh, who was the, the guy that was hunting Dracula? Uh, Van Helsing? Van Helsing. Uh, it was put together by Van Helsing's descendants uh, or, or uh, predecessors. Um, and... That's how they described the the fangs being hollow, and they would drink the the blood through through the fangs instead of just the fangs puncturing and, and the blood squirting into the mouth. Right, and, and there are like the, there's obviously like in Dracula, there's uh, when he's has a victim, he has him seduced in a sense that once he's let in to the room or into the house or whatever, and he bites down on the victim. That victim is basically his um, without taking precautions, like wearing the cross, someone putting the cross. There's a scene in which Van Helsing, Abraham Van Helsing puts a cross on this girl's neck, uh, puts some garlic around her neck as well, you know, things like that to help prevent it. But uh, other than doing that, once he bites you, you're his and he doesn't kill you that night he comes back over and over and over again he drinks you until eventually you die and then you're resurrected again as a vampire um but there are other stories in which a vampire can bite into the neck and drain the victim within seconds it's like literally just no blood left in the body uh so this is high consumption and Again, this is obviously all theory, but there would have to be some type of, um, I don't know what you would call it, some some sort of, all I can think of is mechanical <laughs> uh, type of aspect in which the body or the teeth are capable of pulling the blood like a suction that pulls the blood at a very rapid pace, uh, draining the victim within seconds and then moving on to the next, leaving them completely dry and no blood 
by the way, uh, in, in anywhere around them. In fact, some of the stories that we've talked about in past years regarding alien abductions, in which there's no blood left in the victims, uh, these victims being mainly cattle uh, or livestock, right. um, some of them having puncture wounds in their throat, two of them, uh, no blood around or being gutted with no blood being anywhere. Uh, there's a lot of theory and speculation behind that. We've talked that we've talked about a little bit. Um, but for the most part, uh, you know, there, there's, it, it's weird. There's just these theories that kind of come together in many aspects uh, and, and they relate to each other. Like how this abduction thing relates to vampirism, but also very different. Uh, there's also a spiritual side to it as well, because vampires have been known to turn into mists. You know, they, they can be seen, right. you can see through them in many cases as well. They, they are almost ghost-like. They can appear and disappear. When you think of the brides of Dracula, they can just appear and disappear with the wind. Um, so, so that's really interesting as well, which gives them a whole different persona of creature as opposed to just being the undead. Because the undead can't just man, you know, manifest in one place and then disappear and go somewhere else. Right. Yep. They, I mean, they, they've given different uh, superhuman type characteristics to a lot of vampire. Um, suspected vampire people. I guess I should say, uh, people that they thought were vampires, um, <clears throat> and the characters as well. So it's interesting to see the evolution of it too, because mm-hmm. um, when you think about it today, you know we, we discussed it at the beginning that <clears throat> for for us, I don't know about anybody else, but for us, it goes to that basic. Uh, idea of Dracula blood sucking uh, afraid of the sun stuff like that so it's interesting that it's evolved into something that we shouldn't be afraid of Um, I mean personally in my opinion whether someone drinks blood or, or drains energy, whatever the case may be, uh, I don't want to necessarily be close to them. I don't know right. about you, Eric. Well, <laughs> no, I, I mean, <laughs> I don't either. And, you know, we've talked about psychic vampires a lot over the last few months here. Um, but you see, I, I think there's this idea that maybe having these new vampires in in literature or in media is a good thing and that it's okay to enjoy these things and even oh, yeah. really like these vampires. Uh, but I think there's, there, there's a bit of caution that needs to be used here as well, because even these vampires that are sexualized and uh, that are heroes, they're still monsters and they're still draining creatures and people and stuff like that. And that's the difference between humanity and something alien. Um, you know, and I think the more that humanity tends to um, 
dwell on something like these particular creatures, whether they're vampires or they could be aliens or anything like that. Uh, it, you know, that's one thing is dwelling, you know, dwelling on them and researching them. Another is wanting to become them uh, because there are, I, I think, I think there's a line that would have to be drawn because right now it's like, Oh yeah, you know, it's all good and fun. It's just goofy. We want to be vampires or whatever. Um, but when you consider people who look so deeply into this, who, who are, they might be sick in the mind. They might just be lonely. You know, they want to be these characters uh, and they actually start to consume. And that's one thing you do you that's, gross but you know you're gonna drink blood fine but then eventually take it a step further because vampires kill and they might lead into that you know they're, they're, i think these are all little stepping stones that we have to be cautious of uh right. but nonetheless i mean i'm i'm not innocent i love werewolves like they're dope as hell uh <laughs> so i research werewolves all the time uh, but I, I still think you have to have some sort of, um, just some sort of wall up or some type of line that you don't cross. Cause obviously you don't want to become the monster that you enjoy, uh, right. reading about or watching about. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, cause there would be those people that would use it as an excuse to kill. Right. And then Hello. those people it wouldn't be, uh, you know, those are the type of people that use it in court after they get caught and they're not put in prison. They're put into a psych home right. uh, or some type of psych ward. And in many cases, that's getting off. You know, that's that's not really getting the penalty uh, that you would deserve as a murderer. Uh, there have right. been plenty of people who have pleaded insanity and won, but they're not insane. Uh, now, Maybe a psych ward is as bad, maybe worse in some cases because you're around people who are actually uh, have mental disabilities that can affect the sane that are there. Um, mm. But, you know, I, I don't really know. I, I do think that there needs to be a better system for that kind of thing, though. Right. Absolutely. I mean, we've talked about it on this show. Um, <clears throat> the, the, uh, uh, Slenderman uh, yeah. attempted murders of, of the young high school girl. So, mm -hmm. and they wanted to use mental health uh, as a way out. Um, I I think the one girl absolutely was mentally unstable. The other one, I think she used it as a way to say she was and she wasn't. So, <clears throat> there's a lot of people that will use these different. Uh, metaphysical or paranormal entities as a way to to do not so good things right. all right folks um we're going to take a quick break we've been talking about vampires and vampires and pop culture and all that great stuff uh but we will be right back right after this break hello and welcome to novel conversations a podcast about the world's greatest stories I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. 
So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. There are spirits everywhere, watching, waiting, seeking that opportune time to reveal themselves like no other. They fill our worlds with so much. Seriously? You didn't just do that. You farted on the promo? What's wrong with you? I thought you were professional. Go away. Go. I, I got it. I got it. Hey everybody, it's Brian Bowden, host of Nobo Boomy, where we explore deep inside the Goblin universe. We have an amazing show that covers the paranormal, conspiracies, music, art, entertainment, trending topics, and so much more. Please join us by subscribing to the show on Podbean at InsideTheGoblinUniverse.Podbean.com, on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and everywhere you find podcasts. It's an informative, fun, and overall entertaining good time, and uh, we'll keep the gas to ourselves. Why don't you burp next time? Someone give me Brian Anderson. What's up, folks? Welcome back to Paratruth Radio. As always, my name is Eric. And I'm Justin. And you are listening to our episode about vampires. Uh, of course, we've had vampire episodes in the past. It's been a while. Thought it'd be fun to come back to it, talk about some things that we haven't talked about primarily the evolution of the vampire um and man they've really evolved a lot from the beginning Mm -hmm. from the good old folklore to the modern day sex icon that is the vampire uh it's weird it it gets weird what's more weird are the fangirls that's way more weird um but hey i guess if that's what you is your thing keep it as as you said to each their own yeah exactly um i don't so based on what we've talked about here tonight and based on what you've researched in terms of the evolution of the vampire uh we've seen where it has come from we know where it's at where do you see it going in the future do you have any thoughts about that um when kind of when we first started uh doing paranormal radio i think the big thing was that it was leading into the psychic vampirism mm-hmm. uh aspect of things and and a lot of people came out and talked about that uh Mich- michelle bellinger was one of the big names back then uh talking about uh psychic vampires um and it's it has evolved even since then. Um, I, I think they were they were around then, but the the vampire clubs where people mm-hmm. go and consensually give their blood and stuff like that. Um, I don't foresee anything going beyond that. I don't. Um, I, I think that a vampire is always going to be a vampire, regardless of how far into the future we go. Um, but the aspects of of a vampire will uh, kind of just change just because 
we think of a supernatural being and now <clears throat> we've got people that uh claim that they truly are vampires right. um i've seen some people on tiktok even saying that they are literal vampires that they've lived for hundreds of years uh that they've seen all these different things uh is it true uh you guys know my opinion. Anything is possible. Is it likely? Highly doubtful. Uh, when it comes to like the vampire and werewolves and stuff, uh, as much as I would <clears throat> want to believe that they are real, uh, I think that it's one of those things that in the past, humanity was trying to explain something that they couldn't understand. And that's where all of this kind of came from. Um, so it's kind of evolved into humans who claim that they're vampires and feed on actual human blood. Um, I've seen people who are consuming animal blood in a way of um, deterring from human blood, kind of like you see portrayed in the different uh, pop culture things. Like uh, I believe it's portrayed in twilight that they're they're feeding on animals not humans right right and that i mean that's becoming very popular more popular especially um it's it's weird because eventually we're going to going to get into this idea of uh vegan vampirism and uh you know this guy you laugh but there's going to be somebody who comes up with a way to do it too like right we're gonna feed off the life force of flowers um i'm sorry for anyone i've offended just now but <laughs> to be honest i probably offend a few people over the years and it is what it is teach their own yeah we're gonna use that from now on um <laughs> look one of my favorite stories, which I think marries the idea of the new vampire with the old vampire that's been done. And it's one of my favorite stories. The movies, it, it, it had me unsettled. I was unsettled for days after watching it. Uh, I've yet to read the book, but I'm going to. I'm going to get it. Uh, and it is called Let the Right One In by John. I think it's Lindequist. Uh, he's, uh It's a Swedish pronunciation. Sorry if I butchered that, but let the right one in is just so beautifully done. Uh, and I hear the writing is even better. And it's about this little girl who meets a young boy who's kind of bullied and a loner. Uh, and this girl befriends him. They, they become really good friends. And there's this kind of sympathy uh, that this girl has for him. This vampire girl has for him, but because she cares for him, she's very protective. And she's very much vampire of the old uh, when she attacks. I mean, she destroys people, ripping them apart, blood everywhere, feeds on them. Uh, you know, it's disturbing, very disturbing. And I thought it was really interesting the way that he did this, you know, taking something that's very much a monster but also something that's sympathetic to some, some standard. Um, not quite as sympathetic as humanity, but still she understands uh, almost fully uh, what it is that humanity is going through. So I thought it was really well 
uh, I was going to say really well written, but I haven't read it. So really well directed, I guess, and produced and written in terms of the screenplay. Uh, but I hear the book is really great. So if I, I don't know if you guys have watched it or have read it. If you have, let us know. If you haven't, you should check it out. Uh, it's really good. And again, I thought it was a great combination of the two categories of vampire that we have today. I had heard of it, but I didn't. I haven't seen it yet. Um, I don't. I don't know if I even realized it was supposed to be about a vampire because um, I just kind of scrolled through. I didn't see or read the description or anything. So that's actually interesting, um, and, and it's. I think it's something that's going to be around forever as far as storytelling is concerned. Uh, the the story of the vampire, whether it's a uh, monster or not, or if it's the more uh, current version, um, I, I think one of the uh, one of my favorite movies about vampires, or they they pretty much make them out to be vampires. Um, it was the one with Josh Hartnett. Oh, uh, Forty Days of Night. For yeah, Forty Days of Night. Um, I th- I I loved that one just because it kind of brought back the monster vampire a little bit. Right. It did. It really did. Uh and that was definitely one of those uh those stories that were really built for fear. Like it was scary. It was a scary story. Mm-hmm. Um and I thought their take on them were really cool too. Um Yeah, you don't get many vampire stories like that anymore. We don't get original vampire stories. They're always right. they're, we get so many like takes on either Dracula or we get takes on these uh, young adult fiction books. Sparkling vampires. Yes, sparkling <laughs> vampires. <laughs> so, what kind of what are your final thoughts on <clears throat> the vampire? Do you think it's something that we created the vampire and that's why we have humans that are saying they're vampires now. Or do you think that, uh, this was a legend of, of a creature that was around, um, and it's just kind of gone into folklore and fairy tale now. And, you know, we, as humans just see it more as a fantasy than a reality. Yeah. You know, I don't know. That's a hard one. Um, only because, you know, everything in the historical records so far um, and in just scientific uh, explanation is that vampires never existed. But there were people that clearly believed it. And whether it was just the fear of the time, you know, being medieval times, not really having a diagnosis for the plague, not having uh, the medication to... to uh, to, to help people that were sick. Uh, you know, I, I think that draws up a lot of fear. Uh, even look at the pandemic today. Uh, it's getting a little better now, but early on, it was very scary for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Hoarding things, they were locking themselves in their rooms, uh, in their homes. Uh, they thought that it was the end of the world possibly coming around soon, you know, things like that. Uh, so, you know, I, it's hard to say. I would like to say that, yeah, I believe vampires have existed at some point but I can't really say. However, with that said, there is theory because we do know at least biblically that there was a creature known or a 
known as the Nephilim, which was a half human, uh, half angelic hybrid. Uh, I say angelic because they, as far as we know, they technically weren't demons yet uh, or considered demons yet. Uh, this was, I believe, before the fall and probably what caused the fall, uh, aside from Lucifer rebelling, of course. Um, so to think that this Nephilim could have existed and they were heroes of renown, basically they were evil, but looked as upon as gods. Uh, why not some type of demonic entity who also has some sort of relations uh, create something vampiric, you know, especially when we consider what angels are, what they possibly look like. If you ever read the descriptions of a seraphim, I mean, it's kind of horrifying, you know, um, <laughs> it, it really is. So I, I think there's definitely that possibility that some, to- such, yeah, some sort of vampiric creature could have existed. Um, but, you know, we don't know. I think a lot of it is mainly folklore. It's just based on the fear of the times. People came up with it because they were scared and look at where it went. You know, it's the same thing with werewolves, with zombies. Uh, I think they all have their basis. Uh, I mean, you think of zombies and hoodoo. There's mm-hmm. obviously there's a connection there. Uh, werewolves, vampires and various diseases of the mind and just physical diseases there's a connection there so i don't know though you know i mean clearly the the one thing that we do know uh about werewolves and the connection there is that a full moon seems to have an effect on a lot both the mind of humanity uh and the way the body feels the way the the tides turn you know things like that the way the earth as a whole uh is just on a whole different level during the full moon uh, so I think there's a lot of that that plays into it too. That's something that people didn't understand in the past and science has been able to explain some of those things away. Uh, but nonetheless, these creatures have existed for hundreds, if not thousands of years. And I think will continue to exist for hundreds and thousands and many more years. So long as humanity exists. All right. <clears throat> um, all right, folks, that is all we've got for vampires, uh, vampire lore to current day vampirism. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Uh, definitely reach out if you have any theories, thoughts, questions. Uh, we would love to hear from you. Uh, you can just reach out on New Lantern Media if that's where you listen, uh, or you can just email us at paratruthradio at gmail.com as well. Um, as well as all the social medias. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, And we would love to hear from you. So until next week, folks, where you will find us same time, same channel. My name is Justin. And I'm Eric. Peace.
Bonjour. This is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor, and every week I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food. So, come join me on Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app.